Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. What's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you are all staying grounded wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is, and taking a few moments to connect back with the truth inside of you. Man, this week's guest is somebody who's very near and dear to my heart and somebody who I respect immensely, and that is Miss Natalie Kogan. So Natalie, if that name sounds familiar, was one of our first guests when we launched back in 2017. And at the time, her message was so in alignment with what Stay Grounded stood for. But as I was thinking about who would be the perfect person to share messages of love, compassion, and self-care, Natalie's name bubbled up to the top. So I was just so excited that she agreed to come back onto the show. This current climate is bringing out the worst and the best in all of us. The lockdown, the economy crashing, the health scare, the, the, the craziness on both sides with not knowing what's true and what is, it's creating a lot of uncertainty and it feels like the rug has been pulled out from underneath us. You know, trying to make sense of all of it is, is difficult. And we're, on top of that, we're learning how to be human. We're learning how to be compassionate. We're learning how to make mistakes and we're putting ourselves in situations that we've never been in before. And that's what makes Natalie's message of self-compassion so important during these times. During these times, the stresses we face right now are going to create mistakes in us. We're going to get triggered and frustrated, and that's okay. We may say things to certain people that we don't mean to, but that's, you know, that's a part of being human. That's a part of our own imperfections sort of allowing us to be who we are. And I just am so grateful for this reminder this week from Natalie. Natalie, just to give you a little background on her, she's a, net, she's a refugee, she's a mom, she's an artist, and she's the founder of Happier, an organization that's on a mission to help millions of people thrive and work in life by improving their emotional health with science-backed skills and practices. Oh, just hearing that out loud made my heart just drop in because Natalie believes that happiness is a skill you can master as well as a feeling you can experience. Because when you practice the skill, you work at being happier. And that to me is the biggest gift this crisis has given us. Yes, there's so much carnage left in the wake of this virus. There's nobody discounting that. But in all of the crisis, there's also a chance for us to finally love the parts of ourselves that was so hard to before. Cut us some slack for making mistakes and not seeing things coming. For for giving us the permission, giving ourselves the permission to be a human inside of all of this turmoil to find our way to acceptance and to create resilience through the act of self-love. And uh, this was one of my favorite episodes I've recorded in a, in a while. I know I say that about a lot of my guests, but there's something about Natalie and, and the compassionate nature with which she practices what she preaches and the way that she shares her own light that makes it so accessible for so many people to find it in themselves. And so 
I am, uh, I'm so grateful. I'm excited for you guys to dive into this week's episode and take notes and, and really sink into the truth that you have everything you need right now to heal yourself throughout all this, to thrive throughout all this, and to find strength, clarity, and groundedness in your two feet, wherever you are. So enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or any of the podcast apps that you choose to tune into us on, and let this episode sink in. I listened to this episode a few times because it was so helpful for me. And if you feel called, you can always go back and listen to Natalie's first episode where we dive much deeper into the actual practices inside of her book. And I'm just, I'm just grateful for all of you. I love you guys. I'm, I'm just, ah, man, I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you all on this journey of, of just getting to learn things like this, getting, getting to relearn what it means to be human and to love ourselves throughout the ups and downs of life. So thank you for being a gift in my life. But without further ado, here is the amazing Miss Natalie Cody. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all uh, arriving into today with a smile because I am sure as hell smiling on this end. How are you, Natalie? I am so grateful that we get to chat today. This is like the highlight of the day. So I'm really grateful that we just get to chat and then we get to share. So double grateful. Yeah, I uh, remember when we were catching up, I think it was like a week and a half ago, and like you were one of our first guests on the show. And I remember I that was like eons ago, it feels like now, but it was, I just feel like there's so much that has happened between myself personally and you, I know. And it's just the growth and where we are in the world right now and the way that everything's evolving, right? Like we've all sort of collectively arrived at this place where now all of the good, all of the bad, everything inside of us is bubbling up. And so I wanted to, I guess, mm-hmm. start the conversation with um, now all this good and bad is bubbling up all at the same time, right? And I know that yeah. happier, the message of, of, of happy really clings on not shying away from any of it. Right. So like, how do you approach sort of this period in time where you've got the good coming up, you've got the bad coming up, you've got all of it coming up at the same time? How do you sort of dance that dance of being human inside of a... Yeah, all the things you said. I mean, look, you know, it's interesting. I've been saying, uh, I know I shared with you, I've been doing, I've done something like 50 virtual sessions in the last eight weeks for companies and teams because we're in that time where we need the help. And... I almost feel like I've been trying, like my whole life, I've been getting ready for this moment in a way that I think this is an opportunity for all of us to be more human, right? To, you know, one of the things I've been saying to myself for a long time, it took me a while to say this to others, is nobody wants your perfect. Everyone just wants your human. And I think we're in that place, but it's hard, right? It's really hard. There's so much we're feeling. And because we're all social beings, we're all feeling all the things the other people are feeling. So to me, the biggest skill that I think we are being asked to practice is the skill of acceptance. And acceptance is this word, when I used to hear it for most of my life, I used to really despise it. It felt so passive. It felt like one of these like, woo, like, whatever happens, happens, just lay back and you know, I'm a refugee, right, yeah. an entrepreneur, like that just was 
terrible, but it's because I, as with many things, I really didn't understand what it means. The way that I think of acceptance, it's really a skill of learning how to look at how things are, the good and the bad, how we feel, all of it, and without judgment, to see that with clarity, without judgment, and then to use that as a starting point to say, well, this is how it is. This is how I feel. Given that, what is one thing that I can do to honor this moment, honor myself, honor this moment, honor others involved, right? And those are the two steps of acceptance. And these days, I mean, I'm practicing this dozens of times a day. This is the skill I'm sharing with others. And I think it is so powerful, but so hard because, you know, we all get stuck in the should, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be this way. I should not have to be in a worldwide pandemic or, you know, I, my daughter is 15. She's missing a quarter of her school year, right? It sucks. Yeah. Like Mina should not have to skip school. She should not be missing friends. So there are so many things right now that get us to the, it should not be like this really quickly. And the thing is, of course, we shouldn't be in a pandemic, right? Of course, we wouldn't wish this ever. But if we get stuck in that this is not how it should be, the only thing that ha- that does is it just depletes our emotional and mental energy. That's yeah. the only thing, right? So this practice of acceptance is to get us out of, I call it the valley of suffering, which is the difference between the distance between how something is and how we've decided it should be, right? That distance is the valley of suffering because the only thing we're doing is we're suffering. So this practice of acceptance is ongoing to help us get out of the trap of the should and into the, this is how it is, right? To acknowledge the reality and ourselves with kindness and compassion and be, the phrase I've been using for myself is, can you be a kind observer instead of an opinionated judge, Mm. right? Both of how things are and also how you feel, right? Because it's also really difficult, you know, so many people sharing with me, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm not as motivated as I am usually, or I can't get stuff done. Well, of course, we're in a worldwide pandemic, right? We're using so much of our fuel for stress. And so acceptance also asked us to relax our expectations of ourselves, to actually embrace how things are now. So to me, that is the kernel right now. And it is hard. This is a hard yeah. skill, but to me, this is the way for us to make it through is to continually be practicing. How can we observe how things are, how other people are, how we feel as kind observers instead of opinionated judges? And how do we consistently move ourselves from this is not how it should be to this is how it is. What is one thing I could do given how it is? Because should is a trap. Could has possibility. But when you separate, I like the valley of suffering, right? Because that's looking into the the expectations or the attachment to something that, that, that you clung onto, right? But it's almost like practicing acceptance allows you to get to almost a new should. It's a redefinition, if you would, or it's defining well, it something. Yeah, it, it cuts the cords. I think it gives you freedom because being trapped in the valley of suffering, then all you have is the struggle, right? Yeah. And the ego loves it. Our ego mm-hmm. loves it, right? Loves it. Because then there's so much to, to suffer. So much. I can, I can spend all day talking to you about how things are not how they should be. My parents are taking care of my 95-year-old grandpa. That's not how it should be. Like, I can't help. It's not how... So I can spend all day being trapped in the struggle. Who does that help? Does that help me 
No. Does that help my parents? No. Does it actually help Mia? No. And that's the trap. And for me, you know, we've talked about this, right? I come from, you know, I grew up in Russia. I'm a Russian Jew. I'm a refugee. I come from a tradition of suffering in my family. So I'm really good at suffering. Like I've got this down, right? And I spend most of my life thinking that it's great to suffer. That like, it's a sign that you're doing something meaningful, right? That you suffer. But that was such a bunch of BS that my ego was feeding me because all of that suffering and struggle, did that help me be a better mom, a better partner, a better thought leader, a better writer, a better? No, absolutely not. And so it's this trap that we fall into and acceptance is the way to get freedom from that. I got a question. So your egos were formed as a way to keep you safe throughout your lives, right? It's there as a, as a protecting veil, if you would, against the world. Why does something like the ego that's initially designed to protect you so enamored with the idea of hurt or suffering or pain? Why is the ego the thing when it's supposed to be our identity, this thing that we cling on to about who we are? Why is that the thing that creates the suffering? I am not sure the ego is there to protect us. Mm. I think the ego is what you said. The ego is how we connect to the outside world. It's this external identity that we create, right? And I think it's there to be our greatest teacher because look, none of us learn powerful life things without some pain, okay? And some challenge. So I think that our ego is not really there to protect us. I think our genuine, truer self is there to guide us. But I think our ego is constantly throwing up these veils almost externally. And our path is to learn and transcend. And we have a choice. We can transcend or we can we can just be trapped, right? And again, I'm not speaking as some guru who like, I was enlightened. I, I'm 44. I spent, you know, we've talked about my journey. I spent 40 years completely in that trap and feeling very justified, right? I define myself by like all my amazing achievements. And I actually, you know, one thing I realized is I actually felt kind of, I I derived satisfaction from all the struggle because it was like, look how hard this has all been, right? Mm, Like, look how hard this has all been. Or like, you know, yeah, yeah. Even with like, I know we probably have a lot of parents listening, you know, like throughout Mia's life, my daughter is 15 now, but when she was younger, you know, I worked, I was work full time in crazy jobs. There I would be on a Sunday night at like one in the morning cooking all these homemade dishes for the week because God forbid she didn't have a home like gourmet meal. And I was exhausted. I was like literally falling over but there was satisfaction in that martyr identity. There was satisfaction of like, look what a great mom I am. I am suffering so much to make her this dinner. Well, that dinner also came with a side of exhaustion and stress and a snappy mom and a mom who really wasn't present. But the ego kept me in this trap of, look what an amazing mom you are. You are suffering so hard to take care of your daughter. So I think the ego is there to teach us the lesson if we want to learn it, right? And it's hard to learn. It, it was hard for me to recognize. It's hard for me to say this. You know, as you're saying that, I'm, and you said truest self, which I know the foundation of that really is love. And, you know, that, that part of you that, that has no reason to shine. It just wants to. And, and it needs to go through those hills to get there. So like... To me, it, it feels like acceptance and cutting the cord with the valley of suffering and coming back to this place allows you to 
feed into the foundation of of even forgiveness in some ways, right? Like accepting something and accepting the fact that, you know what, maybe I did make it really hard on myself, or maybe I did do these things that were for this this external validation, or maybe I did, or maybe something didn't work out, but it's almost like acceptance creates the perfect foundation to begin the healing of the ego. I don't think it's possible without it. And acceptance is also very, very close to self-compassion. So we cannot truly practice acceptance without self-compassion or acceptance of others without compassion, because compassion asks us to recognize that we are human. We are imperfect. Very, very hard for me to learn this lesson because the ego really only gives me a good feeling if I'm perfect, right? So compassion means we are human. We are imperfect and I approach your and self-compassion. I approach myself with the intention of reducing suffering. This is again, you know, I I teach self-compassion as part of self-care and I talk about it as something, again, I used to think like if I was ever kind to myself or compassionate to myself, particularly when let's say I made a mistake, I thought that would mean like I would never grow or improve. I thought it as it was an impediment to personal development because it was like, oh, whatever goes, goes. Again, a huge misunderstanding because self-compassion doesn't say you never have to improve. It just says, I recognize I'm a human being. I recognize I'm not perfect. I recognize I have feelings. I recognize that um, I make mistakes and I want to approach myself with the intention of reducing my own suffering because if I'm not wasting all of that emotional energy on suffering, I actually have more of it to grow, to improve, to do all the things I want to do. Again, it's that trap, right? Because I used to pride myself almost on how harsh I was towards myself. Like that was a source of pride. Because like, look, I'm so harsh towards myself. Like, this is how I become better. Also a bunch of BS. Because if you're always harsh towards yourself, if every mistake is like a mortal sin, which is how I used to approach mistakes, you actually start trying fewer things. You actually don't want to grow and learn because that involves making mistakes. And so, you know, there's tons of research actually that shows that self-compassion increases motivation. It increases resilience because... If we know that if we make a mistake, we're not going to destroy ourselves with self-criticism, we're more likely to try new stuff. We're more likely to grow. And so to me, self-compassion is also a huge, hugely important skill for these times and compassion towards others. And to me, they're really related acceptance and self-compassion. So in the world of self-compassion, I get making a mistake and then being kind to yourself for making a mistake because you're human. What if you make mistakes that hurt people you love? Right. And, and, and then there's almost like the, like there's their egos, there's their, like you, it's like this, like self-deprecating. How do you practice self-love when the mistakes you make end up having like a, a ripple effect, whether if you're a leader and you have thousands of employees and you make a mistake and it, like, how do you get into a place where you practice self-love and self-compassion when the mistakes you made have impacted so many people in a negative way? It's a great question. And also just like a moment for all of us to realize that we all are making those. This is also the other thing, right? Like this myth that we can be perfect. Like I have this myth also just a veil, right? We're all making those mistakes a lot, big or small ones, right? We do stuff that hurts our families, our friends, our people we work with. We either accept it or not, right? And so to me, that's where the practice of self-compassion is so powerful. Because again, it doesn't say 
okay, whatever you do is fine. Go ahead, hurt everybody. It's fine. That's not it. It says, okay, I'm a human being. I made a mistake. Instead of beating myself up for it, what is what can I learn from it? Instead of being harsh towards myself or getting trapped in guilt, which is another fantastic trap from the ego, right? Again, I grew up in a family where guilt is like a very revered emotion, okay? Like you've got to feel guilty. What does it do? Like I've been, the guilt is something I've been working on this year. It does nothing. When I feel guilt, I am suffering. Does it help me transcend my mistake or make it better? Nope, it doesn't. And so it, this is the thing. So the self-compassion, when we make a mistake that hurts others, it's not about saying, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's saying, yep, I made a mistake. Yeah, I, I hurt other people. But instead of let me beat myself up for a year, what can I learn from it? Right. So self-compassion and acceptance are actually one. And I'll, I'll, I'll share just in full transparency. So it was a couple of weeks ago. We've been on lockdown here in Boston for eight weeks. So this was a couple of weeks ago. I was at Saturday and my daughter and me and my husband, Avi, we were in the kitchen and all of a sudden I just snapped at them. Like I couldn't even tell you what caused it. It was some tiny thing that had nothing to do. I snapped, I screamed, I yelled, I slammed a door, I stormed out of the house. Like the whole thing was ugly, ugly, ugly. And I was in my car, I was driving away. And then I pulled over, I had this moment. I was like, oh my God, that was awful. And my first instinct was like, oh my God, I'm such a part, what a horrible mom, what a horrible wife. Like, how could I do that? And then I paused myself and I like, I, I sat there in my car practicing what I teach. And it was just like, I had to pep talk myself. And I was like, okay, that was really ugly. And like, yep, that, that hurt them. But then I was like, well, uh, why might have that happened? And I was like, oh, well, I haven't really taken time for myself this week. Mia was feeling really sad about missing school. So I was trying to like really hard to be there for her all the time. And I was like, I haven't really like taken quiet time for me. So obviously my stress level was super high and I snapped. So I drove home and I apologized. And then we sat on the floor and ate chocolate cookies because that's what something you've got to do. But my point is like previously what I would do is I would beat myself up like there's no tomorrow. I would like descend into like this huge like self-criticism and I would feel awful. And maybe I'd come home and apologize, but probably not. I'd probably like hide in my suffering. I would make it known how guilty I feel. Would that do them any good? No. And when I was able to practice self-compassion, then tell them about it. Well, we all got through it together, right? We all healed that moment together as a family. And actually there was even better because Mia said to me, you know, mama, if you're ever like sad or stressed, just come talk to me about it. Like, I don't want you to snap. Just come talk to me. You know, So my practice of self-compassion helped us heal the pain that I caused, but also brought us closer as a family because Mia was able to tell me like, I'm your friend. Like when you're feeling sad or stressed, just come tell me. So I'm sharing that as an example because it was a transcending moment for me. It doesn't yeah. seem like a big deal, but I think we can all relate to this. Yeah, yeah. I think self-compassion is one of those things. It's like a muscle that just gets better over time, right? Like I could see it in that situation, but there's situations where like you beat yourself up before you even deliver the damage, right? Like think about it, especially in this climate. Like I know so many of my friends and colleagues who have had to lay off tons of individuals for lots of individuals. And before they even make the, the, you know, the, the announcement, there's this massive amount of guilt and shame and, and peace, like, 
and they don't know how they're, you know, these employees are going to receive it. They, some employees may say, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I've been waiting for you to fire me. Some may say, but like for individuals who are in that position, right, who maybe feel like they've done something that's eating them alive, that they've got this and they don't know how to practice self-love because yeah. they're afraid of what's going to happen. Like, like, it's like they're avoiding practicing self-love, but they're also avoiding telling the truth and putting themselves out there and acting as they need to in their truest, highest self, which is always love. You know, how do you, how do you navigate something like that? Yeah. And it's a great question. You know, you know this about me. I've, this is my fifth company. So I've been there. I've had to lay off teams. I've had to have those cart hard. It's really hard. And I guess there's a couple things I would say. One of the things that helps me so much when I get stuck in the guilt or the shame or the beating myself up, whatever, is just to ask myself, is this helpful? It's a really powerful question to just ask yourself, is this helpful? Because the answer is no. Is this helpful to me so I can be at my best? No. Is this helpful to these other people I'm feeling guilty about? Nope. And so that's the first thing I would just ask that. And it does require honesty with yourself, but just asking yourself, is this helpful? Like me being in this guilt, this, the self-criticism, who does that help? Yeah. Because the answer is no one, right? The other thing. So I think that's just a really powerful practice for me. I think the other thing to recognize is you touched on a little bit, like how people will react. I think part of the practice is giving other people some credit and practicing humility. You know, it's like we often have those, you know, we have to have a difficult conversation, like laying someone off or giving difficult feedback, right? We all like play it in our heads and we're like, I heard that part, you know. Well, if we approach those conversations with compassion for those other people, again, what does it mean to have compassion? Not fixing all the problems, not making everything perfect. It's just saying, I'm a human, you're a human, and I want to reduce your struggle and your suffering. So if you approach that difficult conversation with your compassion, you make it easier for the other person, whatever the message is. And again, so your practice of self-compassion actually helps you be more compassionate towards others, which does help them, right? And in that moment, again, it's practicing humility that you may not understand everything about the other person, how they will react, right? And it's more about, can you just bring your full compassion to that situation? And, you know, there's a lot of research that I've read over the years just around empathy and leadership. And leaders who, when they fire someone, for example, which is one of the hardest things we have to do as leaders. So when they fire someone, leaders who approach that with compassion and empathy, so who actually think about the struggle the person might be going through because of this, who actually bring their human to it, they actually feel better about the decision. They, they, they feel better about it. They struggle less. And it turns out the other person's experience is better. So the answer there, the reason I share that is because beating yourself up doesn't help those other people. It just doesn't. It actually doesn't help you bring your best self to that hard conversation. So if you would just practice the self-compassion, you're more likely to approach that difficult uh, conversation with compassion and make it that experience more human for other people as well. So that's kind of the frame that I think about a lot. And it all just goes to the honesty of, well, is this really helping me 
be my true self and at my best? Is this helping those other people involved in this difficult situation? And I think if we can just be honest about that question, the path is revealed to us, but the honesty is hard. I think there's an acceptance of humanity in general. I think one of the best things that I was reading about the other day was like the cycle of transformation. It's like you become aware of it and then you take ownership of it and then you sort of forgive yourself for it. And then you laugh at the fact that you are human and you laugh at the fact that it's absolutely normal for you to feel guilt and shame and the 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 resistance to feeling or even like giving yourself the space to have these feelings and putting ourselves on this pedestal where I don't know where we learn the idea of perfection. I actually like that's something I was thinking about this morning. I was journaling and I was like, where did this idea that 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 people need to be perfect even come from? You know, like I feel like we've just done such a disservice by creating this this false notion that we're all gods in some ways and we should we should strive towards godlike perfection when i just feel like perfection is imperfection because in our most authentic states as we when we show up truly as ourselves not afraid to be human beings i think that's when we truly shine our best that's when the godlike characteristics in us come out and forward and heal the world i think perfection for many of us it was for me is actually a way to shield from feeling all the feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, this idea that I could just make myself perfect underneath it was, well, if I'm perfect, I never have to feel sad or regretful or fearful because I'm perfect. Yeah. So for me, and I think for many people, it's actually like a coping mechanism to strive towards. Cause if you're just always striving towards perfection, then It's like this hope that once you get there, you don't have to feel any difficult feelings because if you're perfect, everything is perfect, right? You feel perfect. You are perfect. So I think for many of us, it emerges as almost like this false euphoria that we think if we could just get there, we'll never have to feel all these difficult feelings that we feel as human beings. So we keep chasing that state because we think that's how we outrun all the feelings, but we can't, right? So, you know, I think that's where this idea comes from. I think it also comes from like we have discomfort around challenging feelings and as a society, we have discomfort, right? And so, well, one way to not talk about the challenges and the opposites and the, you know, contrast of being human, one way to not do that is to just talk about shiny, perfect things, right? That's one way to do that. That's Mm -hmm. a great way to do that. And so we do that as a society, right? We kind of do that because then we don't have to get messy. It's like the reason sports exist, right? Like sports exist so that we can just run away from our problems. Well, that's the thing, right? And so, you know, for me, um, it's actually something, this is the concept where we're working on my next book. We're working around this as kind of the core of it. Because when I started to, you know, I teach these skills like gratitude and acceptance and compassion, all that stuff. I'm hearing thousands of people tell me their lives are changed. They're better at managing their teams, their team. So I was like, what is the kernel? Like, what is it that is happening? And at the core of it, what I feel is happening is people are learning how to embrace their own humanity and share their humanity more fully with other people and look for the humanity in others. And it's like this freedom that comes when we stop chasing perfection, when we stop like, falling into all these traps and we just learn how to embrace, I'm not saying all of our humanity, but a lot of our humanity, we get this freedom in a way. 
And when we are free, we are better, right? If I don't have to come to work and think a thousand ways of like, how do I not show my team that I'm sad? How do I not show my team that I have doubt? How do I act like a perfect... If I'm not wasting my energy on all of that facade, well, then I, I have all of that capacity available to for the great ideas, for being a supportive leader. For being, right. And so to me, that's that's the trap that the, we think perfection is going to get us there. But it's actually the opposite. It's actually embracing all of our different and not just imperfection, also embracing our awesomeness. Right. It's not just about embracing our imperfection. It's also about, you know, not being shy about acknowledging what is great. Right. I think it's actually both. Right. And yeah. everything in between that gives us the freedom. Then I then I'm just the human being. But then all of my energy is available to me for all the things I want to do and communicate. I'm not wasting so much of it managing my image or how will you think of me or what I think of myself. or Let me beat myself up some more. I, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about is like beating yourself up in your head takes energy. It's not free. Okay. Like if you're going to have, or if you are going to make a difficult decision, you have to fire someone having a conversation with, with that person in your head a thousand times and making yourself feel guilty. It's not free. It's using your energy. And then you have less of that energy to actually give to others. And so I think that's something for me, it really helps to just be aware that all of that isn't free. Yeah. it's, it's, It's your own shackles. Right, like Mm -hmm. you put shackles on yourself, and it's like you're carrying this backpack of weight everywhere you go. And you can still be really effective with a backpack of weight on. You can still be really effective carrying, like, I mean, we're strong individuals, right? Like, we can carry all this stuff and still do our jobs. But when we cut the weight that doesn't necessarily, actually, the weight that wasn't even yours in a lot of ways, like, where do we learn the need to be perfect from society, our parents, our cultures, our religions? Where do we learn this idea that we have to look a certain way? It's all borrowed when we were younger. We brought all this stuff. We put it all in the backpack. But I think acceptance and sort of relinquishing the need to be perfect. And I love that you brought freedom up because I think freedom isn't something you achieve when you have a certain amount of money in the bank. It's not something that you achieve when you hit a certain pillar of business or life or success. Freedom is something you feel. And you can feel free when you free yourself from yourself. And that sometimes comes from just embracing and laughing at our humanity and just saying, you know what, like, yes, I make mistakes. And yes, the people in my life may or may not accept that. But that's almost their journey. And that's almost their need to face their own idea of perfection. But the cool thing is the more we just bring our real human out, including the mistakes, the more we learn that nobody cares. Nobody cares. I mean, I have to tell you, so I used to really strive for perfection in like appearance, emails, like, you know, like ultra organized, the whole thing. So one of the things, one of the commitments I made to myself this year, just as a way to practice what I teach is just to spend less energy in the videos I make, you know, and both you and I have pretty big audiences. So I make videos and emails that my emails go to 100,000 people every week. Like it's not a small thing, right? And we have leadership groups I lead where people pay it a shit ton of money to (laughs) me to guide them. So one of the things I've made a conscious decision is I am just going, I am spending so much energy trying to make it all perfect. 
I, I would like some of that back because I'd actually like to put that into like thinking about my next practice that I want to share with people or whatever it is. So I've been intentional about like just like letting myself slip up or not have to double check everything. So just this morning, I mean, you can't make this up. So we have this leadership group that we do for women. It's a virtual group. It's called Elevating Women Leaders. It's the greatest work I've done. And we, it's a year-long program. And they go through this whole curriculum with us. And right now, we have two groups running at the same time. Between every session, I send them. Usually, I film a video just to check in, share something I'm practicing, and I send it to them. So we have these two groups. So this morning, I basically sent the opposite video to the opposite group. And not just the opposite video. They all have the wrong link because it's all linking to the wrong Google. Like, And I'll tell you. So I did that. I immediately realized it. I had this moment. You made me think of when you said laugh. Raj, I was so proud of myself. You know why? Because my first reaction was laughing. Just started busted out in laughter. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is hilarious. I was like, none of them can access anything right now. I was like, yeah. I was like, Where's the popcorn? I was like, this is awesome. I just sent emails and none of them can access anything. Like, so I was so proud of myself that that was my first reaction. Mm. Because that before, oh my God, if I did that, I would cancel this podcast. I would, I swear to God, I would email you and tell you like, I'm not in the right mindset. Seriously, it would affect my whole effing day. I would like, cause I need time to beat myself up. Instead, I was like, okay, that's hilarious. Nobody can access anything. Pretty funny, Natalie. So what did I do? I wrote them, you know, new group emails. And I told them, I said, whoops, guys, you guys all got the wrong link. Here's the right link. And then I wrote, I said, by the way, this is me practicing self-compassion. I sent you guys all the wrong video and I told them exactly what I just said to you. The previous me would beat myself up, et cetera. I said, no, it's fine. So you guys have two emails. And I even said to one of the groups, I said, I really want to know, like, when you got the second email from me, like, how did it make you feel? You know, because I know it's not anger. Oh my God, how dare she send the wrong link? Everyone's reaction is just like, oh my God, I've totally done that. Right. Because nobody wants your perfect. They just want your human. And so to me, like this is actually such a great example, because think of what would have happened if I didn't react with acceptance and self-compassion. If instead I let my inner critic take over, I beat myself up. How could you? These people are paying a lot of money. How could, could you like create a whole second email for them? And why would you do that? It would take all this energy. I wouldn't have this to give to you or your listeners. I'd snap at my family for sure. Because if any of us think that we can beat ourselves up and not take it out on people we love, that's a big fat lie we're telling ourselves, okay? That's a big fat lie I used to tell myself. Like, oh, I can beat myself up, but then I can be a smiling mom. No, guess what? I snapped at my daughter too. So to me, this is, look at that. Look at the stark difference in my day and my ability to give because I practice self-compassion instead of judgment. And that's the power, right? And that was a tiny mistake, but it's the same the same thing for bigger mistakes too. Well, I think mistakes and your relationship with them are one of the most powerful mirrors for the parts of you that you get to love, right? And I love that you said you were proud of yourself for doing that because like, it's like, I think we forget that we get to practice things like gratitude. We get to practice things like self-love. Like you don't have to. No one's making you, but you get to. And I think that invitation, especially when we're talking about the context of mistakes, 
I think that invitation is just such, even knowing that that's there is such a healing sort of idea that I get to screw up. I get to screw up. And I, I need to, I feel like I need to hear that right now. I get to screw up because mm-hmm. it's hard enough. We make it hard enough on ourselves doing all the things that we do. It doesn't matter where you are, what you do, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a parent or whether you're just somebody who's trying to figure things out inside of this crisis and pandemic. Nobody knows how to pandemic. Nobody knows how to be perfect. And, you know, when you throw in a cocktail of of just crisis throwing up in the air and then you've got your own chaos inside of you that's that's just all bubbling up to the surface now, mistakes are bound to be happening. And uh, and I think that that the freedom there is just knowing that you're still loved. It's it's you're still loved in some way, shape or form. Well, and that's again, that goes to we have to practice on our own first. Right. And it also goes to the more we can just open up, the more we learn that people embrace us. Nobody runs away from us because we've made mistakes. In fact, people come closer, right? Because it's so interesting, right? Like we kind of know it in ourselves, like none of us like those super shiny, polished people, like that you can't approach them in any way. So we know that in others, but we believe that the lens is different on us, right? We, we're much more compassionate towards others than we are towards ourselves. We have different guidelines for ourselves. So I also think it's just this really powerful reminder to give people some freaking credit, right? We're not being surrounded in our lives by opinionated, harsh judges who are just like out to get us. We are surrounded by other human beings whose reaction to our mistakes is usually compassion. And so I think the other part of this practice is humility is and and giving other people credit for being also human, right? And for having trust that, yeah, if I make a mistake, it might hurt, of course. If it's a big mistake, right, it might cause someone to waste time or be annoyed, whatever. But to give people credit for their own depth of humanity and be like, well, they can understand that I'm human and I make mistakes, right? So I think that's also... In my chase of my own perfection, one of the things I had to recognize was that I kind of judged people in my life very harshly. Like, I didn't give them credit. I thought they would only love me if I was perfect. Bunch of BS. That is not true. That is not why people love us. And so, again, it's another trap, right, that I was, that I created for myself. No one else did. I did. And when I am able to let that go, well, my relationships are stronger. My connections with people are more genuine because I bring my full humanity and it turns out they kind of dig that. And it actually, I mean, for me, one of the most powerful lessons has been, you know, as you know, I went through like a huge breakdown and burnout. Like it was, it was hard, right? But in a way it was a blessing. I, I can't tell you how many people like close friends after they almost like exhaled. Because they would say to me, like, I, I never cared about all of your stuff. I love you. And it's cool now that, like, you're not running yourself crazy to the ground trying to, you know, achieve all the things that you thought. You know, my teacher, my spiritual teacher, has a great way of putting it. She said that somewhere I learned that I needed to over effort to be loved, right? That it, my being wasn't enough, that I had to over effort. And I think this is true for so many of us, right? Even with my parents. My parents love me very, very much. But just because of the culture they grew up in, 
right? They didn't have these words, Raj, or these tools, or even the freedom to think this way, right? They were persecuted their whole lives. And so they couldn't communicate to me unconditional love. Of course, they love me unconditionally, but they didn't have a way to communicate that. So I kind of learned that, oh, I bring a good grade home, they smile. So that means they only love me if I'm getting the best grades. That was my own thing. That's not what my parents. So I learned this idea. I'm four, again, 44 years old. And I still, this is something I'm still working on that like, cause I constantly have this thing. Oh, I'm not a good enough daughter. I'm like doing, not doing enough for my parents. Well, that's my own trap. Cause I, I, I feel like I have to constantly earn their love. Right. So again, this practice is for us to give people some credit, realize that people love us, not for the things we do. They love us for who we are. And I think when you remove the need to be loved by others because you can fill your own cup up first, I think that is sort of the foundation, right? Like, I think that's the bridge, that's the bridge to you having the courage maybe to even make mistakes or fail or be human in front yeah. of others because the foundation that you fall back on is, is the pillow of love and self-compassion and, and the space that you hold for yourself. And I think that's, and I wish they taught that in schools. <laughs> Maybe that's part of this, like, it's part of this new normal that we're arriving into, that we're redefining education. I hope that more things like self-love and self-compassion and forgiveness and the embracing of our imperfections and our perfections. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love that you said that. You can't embrace the bad without also embracing the good. It's a really important point to actually pause on. You know, I, I feel like as a culture in a startup culture and also, but like all the wonderful work like Brene Brown has done about like embracing imperfection. I love all that. But sometimes I think it makes us like over-focus on that. What about like being grateful for all of the awesome things that Mm -hmm. we are or that we share? Like what about being owning that? I I think most of us struggle with that just as much. I think more. Well, I think the the shadow... Because we're only ever living in a memory of ourselves. So like if we believe something about ourselves and we show up every day, it's like that memory is reliving itself every day. This is why I actually loved, you know, I remember when when on the first time we chatted, it was we talked a lot about gratitude. And I've found that, you know, it's been two years. It's been about a few years now since I've really sort of invested in my gratitude practice and it's evolved. And one thing I've found with gratitude is that when you can begin to start appreciating even the little things, it changes the way that you see everything. Like the lens just changes. Like you're not, like I realized when I started practicing gratitude, like initially it was just like things I was appreciating, not even things that I was grateful for. But over time that turned into me saying things that I was grateful for about myself, which then turned into a little love letter that I write myself every morning or every evening. And then that allowed me to let go of things that weren't even mine and trust in, in, in the universe around me or forces around me or people around me. And I think it comes back down to like, we have to practice these things. Well, you know me, I talk about this as a skill, right? I mean, this is your, you're singing my song, my, perhaps there are many kind of mindset shifts that I made on my journey that brought me from there to here. But one of the most powerful one is to recognize that my well-being, my happiness, my emotional health, whatever the word is that people want to use, it's the skill. It's not a feeling. And to me, that is the seed because when we look at it as a skill, and then when we look at things like gratitude and kindness and compassion as a skill, 
Well, it allows us to have freedom from our stories. We can drop the story. We can drop the, well, I grew up like this or my mom is like this. Because if your mom can't ride a bike, you can still learn how to ride a bike. My mom doesn't know how to ride a bike, but I do. So when we approach something as a skill, it gives us freedom. We can just put that aside. We don't have to change our life story or we just need to practice. And it meets us wherever we're at, right? Like if, like with any skill, right? If you're an advanced piano player, like my daughter has been playing piano for 11 years. Her, her baseline skill is really high. She can still improve. The more she practices, the more she improves. If you've never played piano, okay, you start with more basic practices, but you improve. So to me, this is like, this is the really powerful kernel is to recognize that we're not meant to know how all of this is. We're not meant to just have it. And that's part of perfection. We are meant to learn it, but we can only learn it if we approach it as we would learning a new skill, right? Like if you, again, like I I think riding a bike is a really great example because if you've never ridden a bike, right, you wouldn't expect yourself to know how to do it. You just wouldn't. Like you would need to start with some training wheels or someone helping you. You would expect to be scared. You would expect that, oh my God, there's a tree. Like, what do I do? And so it's somehow with life and with these life skills, we like have this false expectation that we're supposed to know how to do it. We're not, we're supposed to learn and be open to learning how to do it. And this is like, right. You say like, we should teach this at school. I'm with you. Like one of my dreams for half year is to have a nonprofit division that develops this, everything I teach into a curriculum for schools. Because a thousand percent. But then, you know, like Carl Jung, I've been reading a lot of Carl Jung recently, just because, you know, he writes a lot about the second half of life and the afternoon of life, which is, I don't know if you're in there, you're way younger than me, but in your late 30s, 40s, you enter the afternoon of life, the second half of life. And an idea that Carl Jung talked about that I think is so powerful, he said, why don't we have universities to teach you how to live the second half of your life? That's so good. Why don't we go to school to learn? Like once we've done, like we have family, we've provided, like we need to transcend. Now we have to learn things like what is our bigger why, right? All that stuff to me Not only do the kids need this in school, we need this. We need this for the afternoon of our life. I love that you said that because like, I think a lot about my parents and, you know, my dad is definitely in that sort of second afternoon kind of, he's retired. He's kind of moved beyond the traditional workforce, the traditional immigrant mentality of working all day for some end zone. No, well, now he's at the end zone, but because he didn't really spend a lot of time learning, what to do when he got there. He doesn't really know what to do now. And so he's relearning and it's a lot of trial and error. And I think that coming back to, coming back to just returning to that, that truest self, I think one of the foundational pieces, and if anybody listening, if there's one thing you can take away from this episode, it's just at the foundation of it all there at the foundation of humanity, there's love. And there's, and there's compassion and there's kindness and there's the permission to be, human. Well, we have to practice. That's the thing. It's not magic. It's practice. And it's beautiful practice, right? I mean, this to me is the, I guess, one of the big discoveries that it feels really good to practice these things. I'm not saying it's easy, yeah, but it feels good. And what a beautiful thing to have these practices that feel good, that then improve us, improve our relationships, help others around us. Like, 
that's a pretty awesome thing to practice. But I think that it's really, really important because, you know, like a lot of people, you know, I interact with, if I say self-love or self-compassion, they say, well, I just don't feel it. I said, that's okay. Start practicing, right? And this is what I've devoted my life to is creating these really simple practices for people to practice. Because these are the practices I created for myself. I had to learn to love myself. I had to learn how to be kind to myself. These are things we can learn. And that to me is something I want everyone listening to take away is if you're someone when Raj said, love yourself, you went as if I, as I would years ago. Well, I, I don't, I can't. Instead of that, can you say, that's a skill I've never learned or that's a skill I don't have? Because then you can say, okay, where do I start, right? So instead of saying, I don't or I can't, can you just say, well, that's a skill I don't have yet. <laughs> Such a beautiful invitation. Like, I, I just love the, and the playful nature of this. We're learning how to do this all over again. So it's almost like we are in elementary school. In elementary school as children, just learning how to love and learning how to love ourselves. And I think the invitation now with so much changing around us, with so much chaos and there's so much noise and there's so much fear, I think the time's never been better to curiously approach this very topic with the idea that I've just never practiced this before. Yeah. Natalie, you're so awesome. I, I love every time we chat, I just feel so, I feel proud to know you. I'm grateful that you're just such a light and such a, you embody your message, like just into your bones. Like I can feel it. You're walking the talk and that's such a hard thing to do with this specific type of work, right? Because you have to love all the parts of you and I see it. I see you and I'm just so grateful to have I'm you grateful for you. Every time we talk, I learn something about myself, which I think is one of the biggest gifts you give. So I'm really grateful for you because the only way you can do that is with true presence, which is hard through Zoom, but I feel it. And so I'm really grateful for that because I think it's really, like I said, it's a, it's a big gift that you give me every time we talk that I actually learn something about myself. And I'm someone who studies myself all the time. That's part of my work. So I'm really grateful for you. And I think a big testament to true humanity for two people with very different lives, very different ages, very different backgrounds, different locations to be able to connect and have this meaningful conversation. And I think that's actually a great like note to end on for everyone. Like this is what happens when we bring our humanity to each other. This mm. is what happens. We Magic. don't need to have like the check marks of, do you have this in common? Do we like these things? No, we can just enjoy each other's humanity and it helps us learn about ourselves. So thank you for that. Mm. So beautiful. Natalie, I have one last question for you in the midst of everything you're doing everywhere you're going and everywhere you are, how do you stay grounded? I stay grounded in two ways. First is my family. So my family is my anchor in any storm, big or small. It's actually been a really magical experience. You know, we've been in the house for two months with no breaks with a teenager, right? Our daughter is 15. And to realize that we really like each other. My daughter said, I thought I would be so sick of you guys, but I like you more. And I said to my husband, write that down, write that down. <laughs> like quickly, quickly write it down. Uh, but it's really true for me. My family is my anchor, my family, my parents. It's truly, 
when the world feels out of control, I, I know what I come back to is what is one way that I can be there for them. And that really helps me. And the other way that I stay grounded is by fighting for moments of joy every day. And right now it's a fight. Right now we have to fight for joy because it is really easy to not feel it. It's, we have all these other emotions. And so my other way is to fight for joy. One of the ways is like you see all my art behind me. I paint. I don't have a lot of time, but that's one of the ways or a grad. Every time I see one of your paintings, I'm like, gosh, man, like she does this part time and she's rocking it. Like they're so <laughs> well, colorful. I just do it for joy, you know? So whether it's painting or going for a walk or taking a couple minutes to read like pages of a book that make me feel good, it actually like fighting for those moments to just feel okay actually helps me stay grounded as the storm rages on. Mm. Wow. Uh, Natalie, you're so good. You're such a great human. I'm so grateful for you. I want to give you a, I can't wait to hug it out on the other side of all this madness. I know. We're going to, we're going to, we're so going to. We're so overdue. We might have to be wearing, you know, bubbles, protective bubbles, you know, ooh, 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 but we're going to do it. Like those big hero six bubbles. Like just like, oh man, I can't, well, I can't wait. Well, I can't wait, my friend. This was awesome. You're so great. You're so thoughtful. It's I mean it. It's such a gift. I mean it. I mean I meant what I'm I said. So fully, I'm so grateful. Fully receiving it. Well, on that note, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your old friend, Natalie. And from <laughs> us, stay grounded. <laughs> we'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.